Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Data Protection Tea Break podcast. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from James Filial, the editor of Bailiwick Express, who we've invited to the podcast as part of Project Bijou. We've turned the journalism table on him today, so he's being interviewed by our commissioner, Emma Martins. Project Bijou is a social initiative we launched in the Bailiwick of Guernsey in May 2021. With this project, we're encouraging everyone to share stories, knowledge and experiences relating to ethical data use in a way that benefits everyone. The project aims to support and nurture positive cultural change around how people and organisations treat people's data. We hope to engage people on a cultural level, a level that goes beyond the law. So back to today's episode. James tells us that as an editor, the most frequent time he comes across the words data protection is from someone using it to keep their activities out of the public domain and close down a story. Journalism is often controversial. If it's done properly, it involves publishing information which someone doesn't usually want to be public. Very often they reach for data protection as their weapon of choice to prevent that happening. Nearly always this is based on a misunderstanding of the law and it's why journalism is specifically addressed by data protection laws. Without good journalism, democracies stop being democratic. This reality places both a great privilege and a huge responsibility on journalists' shoulders. Let's hand over to James and Emma. A very warm welcome to James Filial, editor of the Bailiwick Express, which is a very familiar name for all of us across the Channel Islands. Thank you so much for being part of the conversations we're having for Project Bijou and, and beyond. I will ask you to tell us a bit more about what you do every day for a living, um, but I, it's really interesting to have you speaking from the perspective of a professional journalist, because I think it's not really a perspective we hear about enough. It's probably one of those professions that from the outside looks uncomplicated, but in reality is hugely complex, uh, hugely challenging, and of course, wonderfully interesting. So firstly, James, tell us a little bit about your role uh, and why you chose journalism as a career path. I'm one of those really irritating people who uh, always knew what they wanted to do. Um, so it frustrates the hell out of people that uh, it's all, being a journalist is all I ever wanted to be, and I, I consider myself a journalist rather than an editor or any of the other kind of highfalutin titles that you get later on in your career. But uh, no, I, I would still consider myself to be a journalist. It's all I ever wanted to be. I was all, always, um, you know, a good communicator verbally and in writing, you know, it's what I always did. I did well at school and all that sort of stuff, you know, so it was always a career path uh, for me. My, my dad always used to get very upset with me and I, I kind of understand it now with my own children, but um, he always called me contrary. You know, I was one of those kids that if you said one thing, you'd, you'd go absolutely hell for leather to prove the other, you know. <laughs> I see it now in my kids and it frustrates, uh, frustrates me, but I was exactly the same. And I think that's part of the, um, that's part of the journalistic mindset. You know, you do have this, uh, you have a drive to challenge, you know, you have to ask questions and you have to, if someone says one thing, you try and prove the opposite. So you, you kind of do have that contrary mindset. And I, I, you know, I kind of always had that. So it's really been the only thing that I could ever do um, so that's really translated into what I do now. So I'm, I'm the editor of, of Express. It was something that I started with a, a business partner back in 2014. Um, so I'm responsible for the, the news output in, in Jersey and in Guernsey. So I, I take responsibility for everything that we, we do. Um, 
that means from a Jersey point of view, uh, chairing the news meeting in the morning. So we're talking about what stories we're going to cover and how we're going to cover them. From a Guernsey point of view, that's led by our Guernsey news editor, uh, Aaron Carpenter. So he takes that role. But um, uh, overall, I'm there to advise, write stories, uh, proof, deal with complaints, uh, deal with legal issues, respond to, to readers and, and, and listeners and viewers, because we do podcasts and all that sort of stuff too. Um, so really, it, it's, it's being there to cover anything which, which comes up, any questions people have, I'm there to answer them. Fantastic. Now, you talked about looking at having to look at some of the legal issues that arise, and I think it's not a secret, is it really, that data protection is frequently both misunderstood and misapplied. Now, tell us a little bit about your own experience around that and importantly, how you think we can all move to improve people's understanding uh, and their engagement, a positive engagement, so that the law is applied much more as it was intended. So I think it, it kind of falls into two areas. One, in terms of how we internally apply the, the data protection. Obviously, we have, um, we have to be very careful how we handle other people's data. More, but then there's a second area, which is how people use the data protection law in their interactions with us, which is probably uh, a bit more interesting um, for this. So it's it's probably the, the the first thing that people reach for when they try and um, complain. I mean, we use the word bluntly, complain to us about a story. Nearly always they, they reach for data protection and they use that uh, in a weaponized um, format. Um, nearly always in a misunderstood way. They, they don't really know what it is they're arguing, but they use it in that context. And I'll give you a few um, examples of that to make that clear. But that's, it's nearly always the way that I interact with data protection is in dealing with someone else's misunderstanding of it. And then they're using that to try and control the coverage that we've, we've produced. So, um, so some actual examples often makes that a bit clearer for people. So um, we write a lot of court stories. So we'll cover the goings on of the courts in Guernsey and in Jersey. Um, probably in half of those cases, so you know, substantial number, 50%, um, at some point within a few years of us uh, publishing that story, the guilty party will make some form of complaint to us about their name being in the public domain. So they've committed an offence, they've been prosecuted, um, convicted, they're maybe in prison for it. When they're released from prison, they'll probably get in touch with us and say that we must remove the story from the internet Otherwise, they'll sue us under the data protection law. That's that's a very very common issue that I have to, I have to deal with. So that that's you know that's that's a big one for us. Um, so we can maybe talk a bit more about that. The other big one is this right to be forgotten, which uh, I think falls more under the the, uh, the European legislation. So it's not always in that context a court story, but very often people just won't want their name on the internet involved with a news story. And they'll nearly always cite um, what they understand the right, this right to be forgotten. Uh, and they'll say, well, well, you must remove it, otherwise we'll, we'll make some complaint under GDPR. That takes us neatly into uh, what I'd like to ask you next, because the local law here in the Bailey of Guernsey reflects the European law, which you mentioned, the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, as we've come to know it. Um, and it includes very specific carve-outs for journalistic activities. I mean, it's, it's quite unique, really, journalistic activity in the context of GDPR. There are a couple of other key areas, but it stands out to me um, that journalists are given this freedom, really, um, to 
process information in a way that doesn't apply to very, very many other uh, organizations and sectors. So why is this so important um, to journalists across the board? Um, and, how, and how do you approach, you know, personally and your team, approach the associated responsibilities that come with those, those freedoms, really, if you like, that, that, to make sure that you act in a way that is both accountable and ethical? How do you even begin to approach that? It's it, it's a very fine balance. Um, the it, it's a bit of a cliche, but it, but it is true. With any with any freedom comes responsibility. So we're, we're really cognizant of the fact that we we do have um, in inverted commas extra rights under data protection or as journalists. You know we 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 understand that privilege. So because we have that privilege, we then um, have to proceed with our our profession very. Uh, you know, in a very, a very careful way. So how do we do that? So the first step is that we're regulated. So we're regulated by a body called Impress, which is one of the big um, uh, UK media regulators. So there's a very clear um, code of conduct that I have to follow as an editor. It's there, it's there on the internet, anyone can look it up. Um, I have to follow that. If anyone feels that I haven't followed that, then uh, they will make a complaint and there's a, a clear route of complaint for them to do that. So unlike someone just commenting on Facebook um, and saying something on a story, which you know you get all the time, as a as a professional regulated journalist, you know what we say is overseen by a professional body. So there is that that kind of ethical um, uh, uh, kind of um, oversight that comes from that. So that's the first step of it. Second step of it is that we're all professionally trained and qualified. So it's a big thing for us. We, we fund 80% uh, of the professional qualifications for our team. We ask them to fund 20%, but we ask, uh, we fund 80% for professional qualifications for our team so that there is a level of um, rigor and a, and a kind of a standard that they have to meet um, as they go about their, uh, about their jobs. I think the third one sounds um, a little bit more informal, but is actually quite, um, uh, is actually quite effective. We, we're very um, intertwined in, into our community. You know, we're very accountable. So I, I honestly can't walk down the street or go to the shop without someone tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you mucked up that story, you should have done this. It, you know, it happens every day. Um, so we're very, uh, very approachable. People, are, uh, they, they have no worries really about telling us what they think, um, either socially, you know, on social media or socially, physically, you know, they, uh, they, they tell us. So um, we, we, we live with that every, every day um, and, we, and it keeps us, keeps us on, in a straight line, really. So there's, there's, quite different, there's, there's a, a number of different ways um, that, we have, to, that uh, we, we have to stay within the, the bounds of the law. And then there's obviously um, the law itself. You know, the attorney, certainly in our case, the Attorney General in Jersey has shown that he's happy to bring a prosecution um, against us if he thinks that we've done something wrong. It's not, um, people have this perception, oh, you know, you're, you're one of the media and the, the, the establishment will never take you to task. And we're living proof that that's not true. You know, we were taken to task on a particular issue by the Attorney General. Um, and that's exactly right. That's how it should be. So, um, you know, we are accountable directly from a legal point of view too. That's really interesting. And it leads me neatly again. So thank you, James, uh, into the next question, which is about, how important a free press is. And I, and I often think that the rights we have living in a democracy, as we do, are not explicitly discussed enough and perhaps not appreciated enough. So tell us why 
a, pre, a free press is so critical to a functioning democracy like ours and why it matters so much. So I, I believe that there is no democracy without a free press. I, I don't think one exists um, without the other. So, uh, you know, and I think that's been degraded um, a lot in recent years. And I think the actions of some in the media have contributed to that. You know, we went through all the Leveson inquiry and, you know, some of the phone hacking stuff which went on, which was which was awful. And so I think in some ways that, you know, the media hasn't, uh, the news media, I mean, that hasn't, hasn't helped itself. But equally, it has also made us realise just what we have. And if you look at some of the uh, misinformation which you find... Um, on some forms of social media, you start to realise, you know, just what would what the world would be like if you didn't have a trained, professional, regulated um, news media which comes within the bounds of the law, which which we do. Um, but you still have to strike that really fine balance that you know we have to be free enough to to challenge and to push and to question and to take a stance which very often um, the government and sometimes the courts won't like. But if we're not going to do that, there is no one else who will do it. Um, and then we're in a very strange state as a democracy. So it is really, it is a sign of the health of our democracy is how, um, how active and how free the media are. But it, it comes back to this point about freedom comes with responsibilities. Therefore, we have to go about our jobs um, in, in a very careful way and, and cognizant of our, of our responsibilities. So we don't, um, we don't come in the, in, in the morning and say, right, you know, we're going we're gonna to run this story and it might be untrue, but it'll be a giggle and it'll make everyone laugh, but it's a load of rubbish. That never happens. You know, we've never, I've never sat in in 25 years on a news meeting like that. And equally, I've never been party to a conversation where we said, right, we're going to go and get this company or we're going to go and find stories out about them and bring them down. That's never happened either. Where, so there are lots of myths around the media in terms of how we operate, but um, generally, I think the Channel Islands is blessed with a, a professional and a responsible media. And um, the way I prove that point is just imagine what would happen if we had typical tabloid press in the Channel Islands, the types of stories that that you would, you know, you would you be reading every day. They'd be very different from what you're reading now. Yeah, indeed, I mean, that's just such an interesting area, isn't it? Discussing. The role it has in democracy more broadly and it, I could speak for a long time on this James but um, sadly we only have a short amount of time today but so so interesting and you know looking back at the last few years um, some of the biggest stories around the globe uh, relating to data and I'm thinking uh, Cambridge Analytica, Facebook uh, and more recently the way the American elections um, certain campaigns used and misused data to target or exclude certain people because of their colour of their skin, for example. I mean, these all these stories have been the direct work of investigative independent journalists. So how important is it for journalists today in the sort of digital era to be alive to the important role, the crucial role that data now plays in all aspects of our lives? I think it's essential. Um, you know, data, data is, is the, the central point of so many things and, and journalism is is no different in that. Um, so it, it's absolutely essential. The, the issue that um, the media industry has is uh, is resourcing, a lack of resources. People perceive that it's um, an industry which is still, you know, awash with cash, and you know, it, it really isn't. 
Um, so it's a lack of resourcing. And what that means in practice is that journalists typically these days, um, they're covering the day-to-day -day news, you know, the stuff which is going on in Guernsey today, which, you, you know, you have to do as a, as a, a, you know, a news outlet. You can't not report a car accident or a court case or a fire or, you know, something's happened with the ferry. Or, you know, there's day-to-day -day news which you have to report. But once you've done all of that, you have very little space um, to actually do the proper uh, time-consuming investigative work, which I think the community is crying out for. So it's probably been the most common uh, complaint about the media that I've had over the last um, 25 years is we don't get enough investigative journalism. And the answer to that is no, we don't. And the reason is because it's so expensive. So to have an investigative journalism um, uh, section, you, you have to be able to say, well, look, go off and investigate that for three weeks and you might not come back with anything, but don't do anything in the interim. And that no one, no one has that ability in the Channel Islands media, unfortunately, um, because the resourcing now is so, is so small. So that, that's a big worry. We're doing what we can with Express now by having like a, 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 an investigation shift know one week in a month you know someone might be delegated to do an investigation but it's one week a month you know it's it's not all the time which is what we'd like to get to so we're kind of making the, the the steps forward where we can but it is certainly the biggest threat i think to the local media is that um, that pressure on resources that pressure on resources comes from uh, competition from the big the big um you know data crunching uh, global organizations like facebook and google you know those those guys uh, compete for every pound of local advertising um, and all of that is in competition with ourselves with with the press with the uh, the commercial radio stations um, and it's all money which goes out to the channel islands so it's a it, it, it's a big issue I, I don't think regulation is the answer to that you know I'm in that sense I'm a free marketeer I don't I don't think that 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 regulation might be the the solution but I think at this stage it's kind of recognition and understanding of the problem is probably the first step and then we can think about how to solve it and you talked before about you know, the local community and the role they have i mean and like you say the local community wants local journalists looking at local news don't they and there's still there's still a market Do you, are you optimistic about that market going forward i'm hugely optimistic about it and it's the one thing that's um uh, that's been been shown over the last year and through the pandemic the the appetite for accurate and trusted local information has never been greater you know it people are are I use the word desperate, and I think it's accurate. You know, people people are desperate for accurate local news. There's so much um, misinformation and half-truths that you hear uh, and read around the place that does mislead you. And if you're not forming your, your thoughts, your opinions on accurate information, you're getting into quite a, a bad place. You know, you wouldn't, these days we don't eat bad food. So, you know, why, why are we happy to get half information and poor information? You know, we should be quite rigorous in terms of what we put into our brains, just like we are into our mouths. Um, so I'm really optimistic because I think people are starting to realise the importance of the local media. And if they do that, then maybe we see the resourcing start to change and focus starts to change. And, that's, and that might mean over the next couple of years, you start to see... Um, yeah, it does sometimes feel as if we're losing the battle around things like data manipulation, fake news and disinformation, which you've just spoken about. Um, so are you saying that the war is, is there to be won? And if so, how do we all do that? What do we, what do we all have to do to play our part to make sure? 
I, I'm absolutely certainly the the war is there. Um, um, I think we I think do we need to talk about fake news um, a little bit because people tend to use fake news as a term when they, they disagree with something. You know, they, they don't agree with it means they say it's fake. You know, and it, it, it might not be fake. Too, but it's not agree with it. So you've got to be quite careful in terms of what we mean by fake news. Fake news is being like deliberately uh, falsified information. Claims example being Hillary Clinton and the Party. You know, absolute. <laughs> absolute rubbish but which is fed into the election campaign which is astonishing really. so that's i think people are um uh, are becoming uh, quite wise to you know i think we, we've kind of gone through that phase of it we've understood just how much rubbish there is out there um so i think we are seeing people become a lot more careful and a lot more skeptical about the news that they're consuming, the information in front of them. And they're questioning, you know, when we started that, the conversation talking about the need to be questioning. And I think they are challenging. So we, the way I would evidence that is that we get lots of feedback, you know, phone calls, um, social media messages from people saying, is that really true? Is that accurate? Where have you got that information from? Can you stand that up? And we're, that's fine. You know, we're happy to justify all of that and explain all of that and our stories are based solidly. But that's really good. So it shows that people are are challenging and pushing back a little bit. So that's the first step um, in terms of how every you asked how everyone can play a part. The first step is being um, challenging by being. Um, I think the second step is realizing that uh, the professional media, so uh, the BBC, Channel, Guernsey Press, ourselves, um, Island FM, you know, they're typically staffed by people who are trained, who are regulated, who have. A professional job to do so jumping to conclusions and saying things like oh lazy journalism or bloody media or all this sort of stuff it's not really that helpful you've probably got someone who's actually trying to do a job there without an agenda um, and to report what they believe to be true um, so having a little bit less uh, of an attitude sometimes um, might would be a you know useful second step it's so interesting to think how, how much this is woven into questions of trust and accountability, isn't it? I mean, more broadly. Um, now, listen, James, that has been hugely interesting. I think we could have spoken for hours on this, but I'm hugely grateful for your time and giving us a little bit of a different perspective on this, which I think is hugely important for everybody as citizens, as regulators and governments. I think we need to uh, understand the much wider picture around uh, data and, and its processing and, and our obligations and duties and responsibilities other and the community that we serve so listen thank you so much for your time it's been great chatting with you and i wish you and your team all the very best thanks james it's a pleasure thanks for asking me and thank you for listening to this special edition of the podcast there are lots of other episodes you can explore via odpa.gg forward slash podcasts and if you're interested in finding out more about project bijou head over to odpa.gg forward slash bijou goodbye for now mm-hmm.